Now turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 3. And as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming at the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man lead you astray. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall lead many astray. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for these things must needs come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and earthquakes in diverse places. But all these things are the beginning of travail. Then shall they deliver you up unto tribulation and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all the nations for my name's sake. And then many, shall many stumble and shall deliver up one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall lead many astray. And because iniquity shall be multiplied, the love of the many shall wax cold. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations. And then shall the end. So we bow together in a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you uh, this morning that we are gathered here in your presence and that we sense already that you have been receiving us. And now, Lord, we come to your word and we just want to confess in your presence that without you we can do nothing. I can speak, we can hear, but Lord, there'll be nothing of real and eternal value out of this morning unless, Lord, you are our grace and power. You are our anointing. And therefore, because, Lord, you have so graciously provided that anointing, we want by faith to appropriate it for the speaker and for the hearer alike. Dear Lord, will you somehow write something on our hearts and Lord, speak in such a way into our spirits that it will become flesh and blood, that it will become our very life, our very being. Uh, Lord, we commit ourselves to you now with thanksgiving in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, there is no need to tell you that the theme of this conference has been Thy Kingdom Come. I am sure that uh, uh, you are all aware of that, and if you are not, I wonder what you've been doing the last few days. Um, some Christians are unbelievable the way they um, uh, sleep with their eyes open. Uh, especially in meetings, it's uh, an amazing um, sort of evolutionary process that's taken place amongst Christians in particular. 
Um, but I'm sure that here in this conference you are well aware of the theme of our time. And I think most of you will know that my responsibility has been this gospel of the kingdom. I want just to underline this one verse in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. I want to underline first of all, I don't want to spend any more time in introduction because of time, I want to underline first of all this word, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. There is a command of the king that you and I should preach the gospel in the whole world. It is an imperative command. No one, no child of God, no Christian leader, no theologian has any right to contradict that command of the Lord Jesus. Almost one of the last things he said before he was taken up into the heavens was all authority and power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. In other words, we have not an if or a possibility, but a commission, a command, which was almost the very last thing that the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, said to those who would be his followers, said to his church, to his redeemed, we were to go into the whole world and preach this gospel. Mark's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 15 puts it this way, and Jesus said that we were to go and preach the gospel in the whole creation. Uh, I, I think that's an interesting word. Of course, it, in a sense it means, obviously, <laughs> the inhabited earth. But um, it's interesting that, that the word is used, uh, so there's no getting out of this. We're not to stay in North America. We're not to stay in Europe. We're not to stay in some nice little holy huddle somewhere where things are a little more pleasant, except for the collisions we have with one another. But we are to go out into the whole world with this gospel of the kingdom. Now there has been a teaching that has relegated this gospel of the kingdom to the millennium. 
It has made a division between the gospel of our Lord Jesus, the gospel of grace, and the gospel of the kingdom. And it says the gospel of the kingdom is only to be preached in the millennium. I think, and I'm not going to spend time on it, I think it's so ridiculous myself. Uh, anyone who has any sense at all has only to compare the words of the Lord Jesus in one gospel with the words of the Lord Jesus in another gospel. And you will discover that what is in some called the gospel uh, of, uh, uh, of the kingdom of God is called in others the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and of course we have the gospel of the Lord Jesus and this gospel of the kingdom. Now I, what I believe is very simple and that is this gospel of the kingship of God this gospel concerning God's king this gospel concerning the abounding grace of God by which he gives us an entrance into this kingdom and restores to us the possibility of coming to the throne of God by the grace of God alone. This gospel of the glory of God. This gospel of our Lord Jesus. This gospel has been entrusted to those who are followers of the Lord Jesus to be preached in the whole world. We have no business to be disengaged from this commission. We have, it is, I want to put it in the strongest language it is possible. It is a sin and a transgression for the people of God not to be involved practically, relevantly in the preaching of the gospel of this kingdom in the whole world. Now, I don't know sometimes what is wrong with us, but we are such finite people, and I have no doubt that the Lord understands that. And for some strange reason, we are unable in our minds to contain more than one truth at a time. And once we have this truth of gospel work, as we call it, we are not for anything to do with conferences or anything to do with the deepening of spiritual life. We're all concentrated on evangelistic crusades, evangelistic work missionary work, getting out to the people and everything else and we have no time for those we feel who just sit at home and study their Bibles and talk about deepening of spiritual life and, and, and maturity but likewise those who see something of the church are often totally disengaged from gospel work as if by seeing the purpose of God as if by seeing the goal of God this automatically disqualifies us, it automatically, as it were, exempts us from the work of the gospel. My dear friends, there is no such thing. These two 
Vital matters must go hand in hand. The building of the church has to be built, as our brother said last night, with living stones. Where do the living stones come from? Do we pinch them from other coops? I mean, where do they come from? Where do these living stones... They are meant to be saved by the grace of God in our midst. They are meant by our life and our testimony together as God's people to come to know the Lord through our witness, through our life together through our being conformed to the image of God's Son. Have no business to ignore this commission of our risen and glorified King. There are those who ignore it and feel that they have a right to ignore it because they are dwelling on what they feel to be more important matters. To do with the bride to do with the city of God, to do with the end and goal of the Lord. So they feel that they are exempted. They can ignore this matter and leave it to others. Now, I'm not saying that all of us feel that the others are kindergarten, that they are sort of uh, inferior, but there is a kind of atmosphere that goes, just because we're normal human beings, that once we've seen something more, we feel we'll leave it to those who see something less. And so we leave the whole matter of the gospel to, to those we feel are children, really. They're superficial, you know shallow. They don't really see this matter end of the, of, of the throne of God, of the bride of God, of the city of God, of the body of the Lord Jesus. So we'll lead us. We can ignore this commission because we must, con we must give ourselves to a far more important matter. My dear friend, we cannot ignore this matter, nor can we bypass it. As if by concentrating on something which is essential in the purpose of God, we can leave something else just as essential and just as fundamental. We bypass it in our minds. Or again, there are those who feel that it is nullified in the sense that this commission, once we understand something about the church as the body of the Lord Jesus and as the burden on God's heart, then this commission is virtually nullified. If we ignore or bypass or nullify this commission of the king, it is disobedience. And disobedience brings a snare and a bondage upon any life. It brings a snare and a bondage on any fellowship of God's people, any assembly of God's people. This command is quite clear. I have already, I hope, underlined it. I hardly need to do so again. It is to be preached in the whole world. Not necessarily and only in our own homeland. It is the whole world. Now this does not mean that all of us can go to the whole world. We are not meant by this commission to become world travelers. Uh, flitting from place to place. Uh, that's not what the Lord means. But we are to have a vision 
that is worldwide. It is not confined to a locality or to a nation, but it is a worldwide horizon. It is a worldwide vision. We are to pray for those in the front line of the battle. We are to pray for the work of the Lord in these areas of the world where it is, as it were, pioneer work. We are to pray that the Lord will help us and not only to pray, sometimes we should give. Sometimes there are many other ways in which we can be uh, involved in this. Now I want you to notice and I underline it, I shall come back to it again in a moment. It is till the end of the age. Our Lord gave a specific promise to those who fulfill this command. And lo, I am with you till the end of the age. In other words, until this gospel of the kingdom has reached its goal. Until it has been fulfilled in being preached in the whole world the Lord gives us a specific promise that his presence will be with us that is all his grace will be with us all his power will be with us all his wisdom will be with us all his resources are available to us the Lord has made a specific promise I hear this promise claimed by all kinds of people who have never moved out of their home They've never even hardly moved out of a seat to win another person for the Lord. But this promise is conditional. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. This is not to say the Lord is not with you when you don't necessarily get involved in gospel work. But what I'm saying is this. We have a specific promise that the Lord's heart is so much in this matter that he promises to be personally with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He promises to be with us with all his grace and all his power and all his wisdom and all his gifts and all his resources until this commission is fulfilled. I want you to notice this is not some kind of simple gospel that is to be preached. Just a gospel that proclaims that you're forgiven that Jesus died. It is the gospel of the kingdom. That is the fullest description that we have for the gospel. It includes not only the saving grace of God, but the purpose of the Lord and the end of the Lord. And is it not a very interesting thing that our Lord in the version in Matthew says, And go, and go ye therefore, go ye therefore, and preach the gospel in the whole No. Go ye therefore, and make converts of all nations. No. <laughs> go ye therefore, and make members of the church. No. <laughs> Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In other words, there you have the whole meaning of the cross. You have the whole meaning of life, abundant by the Spirit of God, in the meaning, in the testimony of baptism, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. This is no small gospel. This is no gospel just asking for some decision, a hand to be put up, a little piece of paper to be signed. I don't want to devalue or despise the many who have come to know the Lord in that very simple way. But my dear friends, I have to tell you something. I think this term born again has been bandied about, especially in the North American media, in such a way that it has devalued the whole concept of a new birth. I fear very greatly that there are thousands upon thousands within evangelical churches, even sometimes other uh, uh, fundamentalist groups, that are not truly born of God. They have entered in some way that, uh, that uh, without any, no making of their calling and election sure. I could give examples of this, but then it will take me away from really what I want to say this morning. We have an imperative command here, and it makes some of us feel very uncomfortable. And we have no business not to obey it. But now I want to say just something else. Do you think our Lord is just interested in heads? All he wants is to get numbers into the kingdom. He wants some kind of vindication for himself. As if that's all he's interested in. My dear friend, why did the Lord Jesus say, And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age, unless... His heart is in this matter. Unless there is something so on his heart in this matter that he wants to share it with us. My dear friends, I know it is, it's beyond our understanding. It, it, it is almost incredible to us. But God so loved the world that he gave his only Gotten son. Sounds almost trite to say that God loves this world. It's very hard for me to think that the way the Lord loves me, He loves some one of the Millions and millions and millions of Indian digits. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Well, let me put it another way. There are 800 million Indians in the Indian subcontinent. And every one of them is loved by God and known by God. 
There are nearly nearly a billion Chinese on the Chinese in China, mainland China, and every single one of them is loved by God and known by God. Now I say that blows my mind. I think well, the Lord can't do it. He hasn't got a computer big enough. He's not able, as it were, to store all the information about everyone: their life, their birth, their genetic history, their temperament, their personality, the way they were born, their feelings, their longings. But there is not one in this world that is not loved by God. The proud Jew. The terrorist, the British, <laughs> the Germans, the Russians, the Marxists, the capitalists. There's no one of them. It, it, you see, we can't take it in. There's something in us that is. I, I can't. I, I just don't understand. I mean, of course, the Lord knows me. I'm special. I mean, um, I mean, I caught his eye, and the Lord said, oh, "Well, well, well, look at that." There's someone there that's very special. I must take an interest in him. I'll take an interest in her. She has a real personality, a flair. She's caught my eye. You see, we've got this idea, this Islamic idea of a distant, distant God. Who every now and again, impartial and impersonal as he is, his eye gets caught by a flash of colour or a little explosion somewhere in this human sea, and he looks down and says, "Give me my telescope." <laughs> and he sort of fastens upon that person and studies them very carefully. He says, "Well, well, well. I think I'll save that person." <laughs> That's a very interesting person. Now, this is an Islamic idea of God. It is not the God of Revelation. It is not the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. It is beyond us to understand that God knows every human being. No matter what their colour, what their race, what their background, what their conditions, and the Lord Jesus gave Himself for every human being. My dear friends, when the Lord Jesus, in the very last moments before He ascended, said, "Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations." It wasn't that he was just saying, "Now look, I want you to do this because it's a duty, as far as I'm concerned. I want heaven to be filled with trophies. I want to be able to boast about this one and that one and the other. I want all these kind of people in heaven as as a sort of glory for me, my dear friends. Perish the thought. The Lord Jesus loves this world." He loved it so much that he came into this world and was born in Bethlehem and lived for these thirty-three years, enduring the contradiction and gainsaying of sinners. That in the end he might offer himself up on the cross for the world, that he might save all those that believe, whoever they are, whatever they are. And almost the last thing he said was, "Go, go, go with this love that's in my heart that can be in your heart. Go, 
and make disciples of all nations. Preach the love of God. Preach the grace of God. Pre preach the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Let them not only come into the kingdom of God, but let them discover my heart. Let them discover my purpose. Let them know that I want them to come to my throne. Oh, how we have failed in this matter. I want you to remember just one other matter in connection with this. There was a prophet, a Hebrew prophet, a Jewish prophet. He was a faithful man, a good man. He knew his Bible. He knew the covenant that God had made with our people. His name was Jonah. One day, probably in his quiet time, God said to him, Go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, Nineveh? You must have made a mistake, Lord. You meant Nazareth. No, Nineveh. Nineveh? Never, Lord. Never. Nineveh. Nineveh. And he didn't wait to inquire anymore. He fled from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and bought a ticket on a boat going in the opposite direction to Nineveh. It is an amazing story. You know the story, don't you? Huh? But the Lord understood his servant's heart. This dear Jonah has become for me a picture of myself. And has become a picture of the people of God at any given time in history. You see, the Assyrians were the cruelest of all people. They were hateful. Filled with the most abominable idolatry. Their idols were monstrous, but far more terrible than even their monstrous idols was their way of murdering other races and nations. They were the first to crucify, not by nailing to a cross, but by putting a person impaled on a stake. For Jonah... He was only interested in one thing. The Lord talked about judgment. But in Jonah's heart, he knew the Lord a little. So he felt, no, I know the Lord. I know the Lord. If I start talking about judgment, and those people show the slightest sign of repentance, he'll forgive them. <laughs> and I am not interested in their being forgiven. I'm only interested in their being liquidated. <laughs> Now, my dear friends, we laugh, but it comes very near to us. When you have suffered, as some of us have, from other nations and other peoples, that's exactly how sometimes we feel. We're not interested in their being saved. We're interested in the judgment of God falling on them. And Jonah got this ticket on this 
cargo merchant ship going in the opposite direction to Nineveh and God arranged a storm and the storm got more and more furious and they all the sailors and the captain called upon their idols and nothing happened and finally someone said there's a man here he seems to know his own God and I think he might be the problem and the captain went to him and said do you know anything about this storm? <laughs> and Jonah said, Yes. <laughs> it's the God of Israel. And the captain said, Well, what have you done? And Jonah said, The only way you can get rid of this storm is to throw me overboard. At least he was honest. Good deal more honest than some of us. <laughs> but the Lord had also not only prepared a storm, he prepared a fish. And when Jonah was thrown overboard, he was swallowed by the fish. I believe that. I've seen enough miracles in my life to believe that God could easily produce a fish. No problem. But then we have one of the most amazing things in the whole of the Old Testament, in fact, the whole of the Bible, really. We have a prayer meeting inside a fish's stomach. <laughs> now, there are some amazing prayer meetings at different times. Prayer meetings in dungeons, prayer meetings amongst lions, prayer meetings in fiery furnaces, all kinds of... But never, anywhere have we ever heard of a prayer meeting inside a fish's stomach. But there were... And there, here's the most... Another... I don't want to just be funny, but here is another very amazing thing. Jonah remembered that the word of the Lord to King Solomon. If you will turn toward the place where I have caused my name to dwell and confess your sins, then will I hear and I will forgive and I will bring you back. <laughs> How Jonah knew which way Jerusalem was, I don't know. <laughs> but there in the fish's belly, he must have said, Now Lord, I may be facing the wrong direction, but please take it that I'm facing Jerusalem. And he's prayed, Lord, hear I've sinned against you and the Lord gave the poor fish a stomachache and it coughed out Jonah on the sand and Jonah was back now the Lord said Jonah are you ready to go to Nineveh and Jonah said yes and you know Jonah now said well Lord I'm not going to ask anymore I'm not going to ask what you're going to do or anything I am going to go to, jo jo to Nineveh and I'm going to preach this gospel of judgment uh, to, to Nineveh in such a way that my whole heart and being is going to be in it. And he did. He preached and then the most amazing thing happened. Jonah had never seen anything like this in all his years in Israel. He had preached the judgment of God. He had preached the anger of God. He preached the covenant of God. And never had the Israelis ever at any point repented. But in Nineveh, from the royal family down, the whole city, the aristocracy, the nobility, the people of the city, all fasted and repented. And they even put sackcloth and ashes on the cows and the horses. <laughs> and the Lord said, I cannot do this thing. I'm going to forgive them. 
And then Jonah was so upset. Lord, he said, you've sent me all this way and gone to all this trouble. I want to see these people judged. They are wicked people. No, the Lord said. And you know the whole story, don't you? You know how Jonah went out in a terrible depression that many of us get when we find our theological concepts are not right. <laughs> Suddenly we discover that this whole theology we've had for years is not quite right and we go into a deep, deep depression. And he went out and he sulked. And then a good grew up. And this awful east wind, if you know anything about east wind, I suspect that Jonah suffered from it. Many of us, including myself, get a certain type of headache when this chamsin uh, or this sharav, this wind from the east, blows strongly. And, and uh, uh, Jonah was no exception. And then this good grew up and, and went right over him and sheltered him. And the greenness of it and the pleasantness of it, he, he was delighted. And then a little worm got in to the root and suddenly it died and Jonah was so upset he said Lord Lord you're perfectly capable of killing that little worm why did you let that worm get into this gourd and then the Lord said Jonah you're so concerned about that gourd that came up in one day and died in a day and you are not even least bit bothered about this whole nation how could I judge this nation with all these little toddlers that can't tell their left hand from their right when, they ha when their elders have repented? And what about the domestic animals? I suggest to you that was the biggest shock Jonah ever had. The Lord knew the little toddlers in Nineveh. He actually knew all about them. It was a terrible shock to Jonah. He thought the Lord only had time for his covenant people. He only knew the toddlers that belonged to the children of his covenant people. He knew that the Lord had said things about how to treat your donkey and how to treat your ass and your camel. It was all within the, the word of God. But that was for the covenant people. He never thought that the Lord knew the domestic animals in a wicked city like Nineveh that had nothing whatsoever to do with the promised land. Now, my dear friends, this is you and me so often. When we begin to see the deeper things, when we begin to see something of the purpose of God, then somehow or other we become exclusive very often, and we shut out from our minds this whole world of suffering beyond us. As if God is only interested in us and our meetings. As if we are the only recipients of his love. As if he never loved anyone else but us. He's only concerned with us and as far as we're concerned. The sooner the Lord comes and damns the world, the better. Let it be judged. Let it be destroyed. Let it all go as long as we are saved. But my dear friend, this gospel of the kingdom is to be preached in the whole world because God loves this world and loves it so much that he gave his only begotten son for it. 
And the Lord Jesus came into this world because he loved this world. Here in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. My dear friends, when we begin to understand this, a whole lot of things fall into play. But I have to watch time uh, because we're pressed for it. And um, I want to move to another point. I want you to look at this for a testimony unto all nations. I think that's very interesting. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all nations. This preaching is more than words. It is more than the definition of truth. It is more than the outlining of truth, of doctrine. It's a testimony. Now, what is a testimony? A testimony has to be first hand. It can't be second, third, fourth hand. You can only give a testimony. You can only be a witness if you've seen something yourself. You were involved in some way directly. You were personally involved in, a, in an accident or, or, or in, in something that happened. Then you can be a testament. Then you can give a testimony. You have to be alive to give a testimony. You have to be, it has to be first hand. Now, what does this mean? Listen carefully. I think it means the preaching and the presence of the kingship of God. Not just the preaching, but the presence. In other words, lo, I am with you all the way to the end of the age. It's not just a question of preaching, of outlining truth, of, 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 of putting over theology, even though it may be sound doctrine and absolutely correct truth. The presence of the king himself has to be there. So that with the preaching of the gospel, there is a de not only a declaration of the kingship of God, but a manifestation of the kingship of God. Put it another way. The preaching of this gospel of the kingdom is to be authenticated. By the presence of the king. Do you hear that? See, so very often we've got an idea that evangelism is just simply preaching some kind of message. But there should be a manifestation of the presence of the Lord, a, 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 a showing forth, if you like, of the presence of the King. Now, I don't care how that manifestation takes place. I, I'm going to just say something more about it in a moment, but I don't... As long as there are miracles, now what I mean is this, as long as there are lives that are torn out of the power of darkness, delivered from demonic bondage, and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son, as long as there are alcoholics who no longer want another drop of drink, and even can come into the presence of it and have no desire for it. As long as there are broken lives made whole, these are the miracles and the signs that are the most essential thing of all. And wherever the gospel is preached, 
We don't expect a hundred percent success, as if everyone who hears it's going to believe. It is to be preached for a testimony unto all nations. Our job is to declare the kingship of God. Our job is to present the grace of God. And it is the work of our risen Lord by the Spirit of God to save those that believe. Now, my dear friends, I want to just take this step further, and I do hope you'll forgive me for those of you who have strong views on this matter, but I want to take it one step further. You see, in my estimation, there is a teaching that has crippled this whole matter of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, and that is we should not ever expect to see the Lord work to authenticate the preaching of the gospel. We are to preach the gospel, people are to be converts, we run it like a, an, a, a North American sales business. With all the psychological pressure, all the salesmanship, and all the paraphernalia that goes with it. My dear friends, I thank God that there are signs and wonders that follow the preaching of God's word. I personally do not believe they went out with the canon of the New Testament. I never have and never will. Maybe it's because I'm Jewish. But I just cannot accept it. When I look at church history, I find that wherever this gospel of the kingdom has been preached, whole societies have been turned upside down. Nations have been permanently, or at least for a long time, for centuries and centuries, influenced by the preaching of that gospel. The criminals got saved. The, the, the hopeless Social outcasts got saved. Oh, I could stop and I could tell you story after story from the early Reformation, from the Huguenots. I could tell you stories from the early Quakers when they turned the whole of British society inside out and upside down. When, when two-thirds of the Quaker preachers were in prison at one time, and do you know what they did? They, so many of the inmates of the prisons got saved that they became Bible schools. And those prisons became the Bible seminaries for Quaker preachers. And when they were released, they came out in their thousands to preach the gospel. My dear friends, you have no idea what has happened all the way through church history. The early Methodists, the, 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 the early brethren, the early Pentecostals. Wherever you go, you find the same thing. My dear friends, you have an authentication of this preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Mark puts it this way. He puts it in Mark 16 and, and, and verse 50, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Verse 17. And these signs shall accompany them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out demons? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. They shall drink. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I don't believe these are just things. The Lord gave these marvelous examples. I know there are some groups that in their meetings have snakes and pick them up. Can you believe? it. What is the point of it? There have been cases in the Appalachian Mountains where people have drunk poison and died. But the, get to the point of this. What is the Lord saying? He is saying this, that when the gospel is preached, there is an impact of the presence of the king. That's 
what the matter is. Not if you, you can take poison and, te- and tempt the Lord. It's not that here you see a snake and you say, no, I'm going to pick it up in the name of the Lord. I mean, that's stupid. But the fact of the matter is this. When you're put into a situation where you could trust the Lord, be with you. Because he said, lo, I am with you to the end. My dear friends, I could spend a lot of time on this matter. I could talk about the Apostle Paul and how again and again he says, I was not just a man indeed. My preaching was not just in wisdom, he said, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. Authentication. I think the most wonderful thing is in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. And I know you, <clears throat> most of you have seen this little phrase been pointed out to you. In Acts chapter 1 verse 1, the former treaties I made, O Theophilus, concerning all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now this is Luke again. He wrote by the Spirit of God Acts. He'd also written the Gospel of Luke. And now he tells us the most amazing thing. Here is Jesus at the right hand of the majesty on high. And here are the 120 members of his body filled with the resurrection life and power of the Lord Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly the whole thing begins again. All that Jesus had done, the, the early church done. There are miracles, there are signs, there are marvelous things happen. Now don't get, don't get me wrong. There are Jameses that get beheaded. And Peters have angels come to them and unlock every gate and take them out. Never understand the sovereignty of the Lord in this matter. But the fact of the matter is this. As we read through the book of Acts, we discover that the body is the actual body of the Lord Jesus. The head is still working through his body on earth, turning the world upside down, confronting them with the kingship of God, confronting them with the kingdom of God, confronting them with the power of God, confronting them with the truth of God. This is this gospel. Dear friends, where has this idea come from? Gospel preaching is in an evangelistic meeting where we simply preach a simple gospel. Now please don't get me wrong on this thing. I thank God for the gospel wherever it's preached. I thank God for the way the Lord uses people. I think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon who when he was a boy went into a little chapel in a little village somewhere in Essex, in East England, in Anglia, and heard a man who could hardly speak the Queen. He preached the simplest gospel. And Spurgeon said, I could count every mistake he made. And then the power of God fell on Spurgeon. And the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon was saved. I would not despise some dear brother preaching simply out of his heart by the power of God. But where has this idea come that gospel work is somehow confined to an evangelistic meeting? Where does it come from? Surely we need to get out. Well, I, I have to watch this time. 
<coughs> There's another phrase in this verse I want just to underline. Then shall the end come. Now I, I want you to note that. Then shall the end come. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations. And then shall the end come. In other words, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom for a testimony to all nations is operative to the very end. We have no business to say that we will not be able to do it, we shouldn't bother about it because now we're in the very last days. Right through to the end, this gospel of the kingdom is to be preached. It is to be fulfilled in the midst of enormous upheaval and turmoil, in the midst of much persecution and tribulation and affliction, antagonism from the society around us. This gospel of the kingdom has to be preached uh, as a testimony unto all nations. Where are we in this age? Of course, if we look at Matthew chapter 24, we have a whole lot of signs that our Lord gave us about kingdom rising against kingdom and nation against nation and famines and earthquakes and, and plague diseases and, uh, and persecution. And we have to say, and I, I'm not going to go into this fully, I just want to touch on it. We have to say that this last century has seen two world wars and a whole generation or two that has lived in nothing but the rumor of war. It has only been literally in the last year that the thing has begun to relax a little. And that is only another stage in the fulfillment of God's prophetic word. The fact of the matter is we have never seen wars like we have seen in this century. We have never seen such turmoil. We have never seen such upheaval. And with it there have been earthquakes and more to come. And there has been famines and many more to come. And the reason being that ecologically we have damaged the earth probably beyond redemption until the Lord Jesus returns, to put it right. Big diseases. Well, we're seeing the beginning of such things. Persecution. Has there been any century in the whole history of the church and of Israel when more people have become martyrs for the name of our Lord Jesus than in this last century? And in the midst of it, the fig tree is sound back in its own soil. The judged fig tree, withered fig tree, the fig tree that disappeared altogether from its soil is suddenly back in its soil, very lively. They have tried to kill that fig tree again and again in the last 40 years and have done nothing but make it more virile and more powerful. Dear friend, what can we say? We think of the words of the Lord, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles. Now, I'm not going to politics on it. I'm just saying, these are the words of the Lord. Whatever we think about the politics, whatever we feel about the Middle East situation, the fact of the matter is, you have a Jewish nation there for the first time in a thousand years. That fig tree is back in its soil and that Jerusalem is no longer trodden down on Jews. These are the words of their are we in this age? We must be near to the coming of the kingdom.
We have to be. And if we look now at our present situation, suddenly we discover to our amazement that something happens in the Marxist world which is altogether unbelievable. It happens in Poland, it goes from Poland to Hungary, from Hungary to uh, Bulgaria, from Bulgaria to East Germany, from East Germany, Czechoslovakia, from Czechoslovakia to Romania. It is unbelievable. And suddenly... A whole area of the world that has been in the most iron-like bondage is released. They're having open airs in Warsaw, open airs in Budapest. Believe have been allowed to meet together freely. They can have Bible studies, prayer meetings, circulate, let's print Bibles. It is the most unbelievable thing that's happened. A man who knows the Lord has come to the presidency of the Czechoslovak people. Another man, at least a committed, observant Catholic, has become Prime Minister of another one of those countries. It is unbelievable. How is it that a person like I didn't even know it? I say it. You know, I didn't know. I was here last year. Wouldn't it have been lovely if I could have said you didn't know what? <laughs> In a few months, this is going to happen. You will have said, oh, rubbish, rubbish. And then it would have happened. And I wouldn't have even had to say to you, there you are. I would have kept quiet and you would have come to me and said, you know, you said that last year, that was remarkable. <laughs> but I was as blind as anybody else in this matter. Think of the Kremlin. Who would have ever thought that the Kremlin would allow a Christian service to be televised to the whole of the Soviet Union on Orthodox Christmas Eve? It's unbelievable. I'm not saying that the whole thing is wonderful, of course not. There's still Marxists in charge of the, of, 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 of the Kremlin. But what is happening? Something unbelievable is happening. We are on the threshold of a one world leadership and a one world government. Because the whole West has now got to do something about shoring up these nations and even the Soviet Union, lest they revert to a far worse totalitarianism. And so we are very near to a one world. We don't want it. Many of the nations of the West, including the United States, don't want it. But I believe there will be a voluntary surrender of sovereignty on the part of many, many nations in the... In, in, in the uh, um, interests of world peace and world prosperity. We're so near to it, dear friends. I think of Germany. I think of, of the European mar common market. Here, in the most unbelievable way, when I was first saved, I was told, one day, this old Swedish aunt said to me, the Holy Roman Empire will be revived. Holy Roman Empire, I said. Now, I was interested in this because I had some relatives who were connected with the, with the uh, families, the aristocratic families in the Habsburg uh, um, thing. So I was very interested. Really, I said, you must tell me more. Oh, yes, she said. She said, it's going to be right across here and right across there. It's going to take in this and take in this. This was in 1944. My dear friends, it's amazing what's happening in Europe, especially if Hungary comes into this, and Czechoslovakia as it must, and Eastern Germany, and probably part of Yugoslavia, and possibly even part of Poland. If not the whole, then we have a most amazing thing. We have the growth of a block of nations in Europe that's destined to be the most powerful, the most wealth, and, and the most influential factor in world history for the last part 
Now, my dear friends, let me just put it another way, and I don't want to get too much into this. I want to go to one last point and finish. Um, my point is very simply this. If you've got ears to hear this, you don't have to accept it. In the beginning of the 30s, there were two nations in this world that were governed by a pagan, a demonic pagan principality. One was Germany, and the other was Japan. Both of them endlessly spoke of a new world order. They talked and talked till they were blue in the face about this new world order that they were going to bring to the world. The Nazis to the whole of Europe in the great Reich that was going to last a thousand years and was going to stretch from the Atlantic to the Urals and the Japanese, the whole of Asia, China mainland, Manchuria, all of Southeast Asia was going to come into this great empire of Japan. Under the of God. They tried to do it by military means and they failed. And it is interesting that these two nations have become the great economic miracles of the post Second World War period. And now, suddenly we discover with the decline of America, which I think is almost irreversible, Suddenly we discover Germany is going to reunite, not over years, but almost within weeks, by July the 1st, with a common currency and a common administration. And there is no doubt at all that Germany will be the greatest and most influential single factor in the European common market. And isn't it interesting? When Eastern Europe called upon the United States to help, and she felt she was unable to fully help as she wanted to, the United States called upon Germany to do something. And Germany said, we cannot do anything because we're trying to shore up East Germany. So Germany called on Japan. And the Prime Minister of Japan came straight to Bonn. And he gave an unbelievable speech, which I think will mark, in days to come in history, one of the new turning points of world history. He said, we are on the brink of a new world order. Dear friends, don't be afraid. This is most exciting. This means that you and I are just where Revelation 13 is. We, you and I, are actually here in Matthew chapter 24. Now listen to this. Here's the positive thing. We have a commission to preach the gospel of the kingdom in the whole world. As a testimony unto all nations. We don't know how long we have, but I have no doubt that there is a harvest to be reaped. And you and I need to be involved in it. So I must finish. And the last thing doesn't very long. Out of this comes an unavoidable challenge. And the challenge is this. How much are you, how much am I involved? in this gospel of the kingdom being preached in the whole world. Dear friends, as one gets older, reflect more. I had my time all over again. I would put a much greater emphasis 
on supporting those dear servants of God in the far-flung parts. It has been my privilege to travel in many places, tropical rainforests, in the deserts, and I have sometimes had to go alone to my room because I was thought I, from my background, <coughs> shouldn't cry in public. And uh, I have been sometimes so moved, seen some of the faithful. I could keep you here for an hour talking about different ones by name. Servants of the Lord who've given their lives for tribes, suffered unbelief, gone a shoestring, have hardly been known here in the West, hardly prayed for, let alone supported. If I had time over again, I would put myself my understanding, the little I have of the church, the little I have purpose of God, a little I have of the absolute necessity of being together and related together, I put myself unrealistically behind these people. I remember on one occasion when an old lady approached me, dressed in a certain way, had a certain look about her, and because she was not used to the West or the way she stood away from me, bowed her head. I said to her, do you want to say yes? She said, I said, where are you from? You're from Indonesia. Indonesia? She said, oh, I'm not from Indonesia. I'm from Nagaland, I said. She said, do you know where Nagaland is? I said, well, I do. I told her exactly where it was and a big smile came across her face and then she said to me, dear brother, I want to tell you that we pray for you. In all our assemblies, 85% of the Naka people have come to know the Lord Jesus. We pray for you everywhere. If you could have come to us, she said sometime. I thank God for whoever it was who first took the gospel. Another occasion, a person approached me in yet another place in Tanya. And I didn't know who they were. They were obviously one of the tribes. <clears throat> and I, and this person said, I said, you come from? I come from on the Burmese border, he said. What are you? And he said, Lisu. No idea how we Lisu people love Israel. How we pray for Israel. We believe that the purpose of God for our Lord Jesus is somehow related to what God is doing in that nation. Yes, I said, and do you know I remembered Dr. Isa of Lisuland. I remembered the great prayer battle, how he agonized in prayer for those Lisu people. Finally, God saved the first family. You know, it is amazing what's happened to the Lisu. Three quarters of them have come to know the Lord Jesus. My dear friends, I could keep you, but I mustn't. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it is, it is to me, oh, the challenge, the challenge. And I think to myself, where have I been? What have I been doing? When I was first saved, I believed that I, the Lord was calling me to China. And, uh, Therefore, my studies were in that line. I was accepted by a certain mission and put on their books. I remember that in my studies at university, I had to study about Mongolia, and then Tibet, and then Korea, and then the Machu people. And I became more and more burdened. I was young. 
And I remember one day I, I went to my room and I said to the Lord, Lord, I wish I had ten lives because I would give one to Tibet and one to Mongolia and one to the mansion, one to Korea and one to this. And, uh, and then my health failed and then China went communist and it seemed I couldn't understand the Lord call me. Why did he put this burden in my heart? Some years ago when I was going to bed, I was by then involved in the work in Britain, deeply. And uh, as I was going to bed, I heard a voice behind me. And I said, go return to your own people. I thought to myself, who are my own people? They weren't the English. I thought to myself, who? that I went to bed. How gracious the Lord was, he didn't bother me. <laughs> three months, three, three and a half months, and then I was going to bed again, exactly the same thing happened. voice behind me said, return to your own people, and this time I, I thought for, I'm a, oh dear sister, thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, she will get a reward. <laughs> and um, I, um, I remember so clearly this time I went to bed and lay there and I thought, I know this is the Lord. But how can I tear myself away from this work that I have been out of for all these years? I can't just walk out on them. I don't know how it will happen. Gracious the Lord is. He never bothered me. He lay another few months. And the next time I was going to bed, same thing. I heard this voice behind me. Turn to your own people. Now this time, I said, yes, I know, Lord. I know who you mean. I've known it from the beginning. I didn't want to face it. And then, now, Lord, don't be angry. Don't be angry with me. I'm old enough now to need signs and confirmations. I know you speak to Lord. You know nobody's going to understand this. I, because I'm a person who's thorough, I, I will go through agony. Lord, don't be angry. You give me a home, Jerusalem, and I will know that you are in this. Well, the Lord fell over himself doing that. <laughs> over himself. Most unbelievable things have happened. I, 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 I won't do. Then I went back to my own people. And in miraculously, I was given citizenship. And then a quite honored place, with much contact with many people in very powerful positions. And then, suddenly, being trapped in the British Isles and Europe, suddenly I began to travel. And, and, and then I began to find things. When I had been in Borneo, when I had been in Thailand, when I've been in Indonesia, I've been in many of these places and seen what God is doing. My heart has become more and more burdened. And oh, how I wish, how I wish with all my heart that God, that we would have a heart for the world. I first saw those people in the Philippines, in the garbage dumps. I never thought in such circumstances made in the image of God, loved by God, and nobody caring. The Filipinos have become maids all over the world. 
the tubers. And nobody cares. My dear friend, don't hide its eternal purpose. Don't hide in the truth concerning the body of our Lord. These are on the heart of God. But remember, we have a commission. We can't just go out. Love of God that has to be shed abroad in our hearts. That will bring us to a place where perhaps we shall come to an involvement with this chain of the gospel of the kingdom in the whole world. For a testimony. From every tribe, from every tongue, from every kindred, from every nation, for the city of God. May the Lord put this on your heart. You never again be able to relegate the gospel. May the Lord burn it into your spirit. As I pray, He burns it to mine and give us a heart. That is like his. Shall we pray? Lord we lift up our hearts to you. <clears throat> Forgive us Lord. That so often we don't have any time at all. For that work. Nations. Lord. Will you do something in our hearts Lord. And will you bring us face to face. With this commission of yours. To preach the God whole creation. Help us, Lord. Help us to start where you would have us start. Our hearts. Open up those hearts of ours, Lord. In the way that you changed Jonah. So that he could tell the story against himself. So, Lord, deal with our hearts. That we may have a heart of love and a heart of compassion. A heart whose horizon is the whole world. Lord, give us that passion that you have. Give us, Lord, into our spirits that travail that you have, that out of every tongue and kindred and people and nation there shall come treasure for your city. You are calling out a people, Lord. Will you help us to be practically and relevantly Involved. And we ask it in the name of our Lord.